Asking God in faith is basically picking a fight with the enemy. I set you up last week. Every one of you were like, well, this is cute. We get to ask God in faith. Uh, but in reality, when you ask for God to do something in your life that is impossible, what you're doing is saying, enemy, I'm coming after you and yours. It reminded me of this mission trip I just recently took to Mexico. I had about 12 to 13 young adult college-age kids with me. And if you go to Mexico, you know the rules in Mexico are a little bit different than the rules in America, correct? It's been a long time since you've been overseas. I'll let you know that the rules are a little bit different. And uh, we were just doing some frontline ministry stuff, going to the men's and ladies' homes, the drug rehab places. Some of the most beautiful ministry that's taking place is taking place overseas. Uh, we have it really good here in America, don't we? It's pretty good stuff. But overseas, man, God's doing some incredible things on the front lines. We had about a half a day, and so we went down to this touristy spot. And in this touristy spot, there's this, the best way to describe it is like a rainforest cafe-style restaurant. But it's not like Rainforest Cafe in America, it's Rainforest Cafe in Mexico, and there's a difference, and I'll explain. They have a big banner that says, uh, you can pet tigers here. And I was thinking, like, pet tigers here? Like, are you talking about, like, stuffed animals, or, like, is there, you know, I, I don't really understand what's going on with that. And as you walk up, you walk through the double doors, and here's the restaurant here, and there's a crowd of people surrounding glass doors on the left, and you walk in, and you see this first scene, and the first scene is like a seven- or eight-year-old boy or girl petting a real tiger, but it's like a baby tiger. And they're petting it, and you're doing like already, you're going, oh, how cute. And I'm not sure how I feel about tigers in cages, but I am concerned about this rule in life that if you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. It's a pretty good, it's a pretty good rule, correct? And uh, I'm thinking in my head, like, I guess if they're baby tigers, it's okay. But then you start wondering, like, what are they going to do with them when they get bigger? And you start going down that rabbit hole. And so you step to the next pane of glass. And these are like, you know, six by six, you know, like these, these tigers that are there. And you, you step to the next one, and the tiger gets bigger. And I'm like, oh, they're graduating the tigers. As you go down the rooms, the bigger tigers. This is a true story, by the way. I don't tell you false stories up here. And, but it's sort of hard to believe what you guys will imagine is coming. And so you get to the second pane of window, and then there's this tiger there that's a little bit bigger, and you're like, like your thoughts going through your head, like, man, I wonder who cleans up after this tiger, because this tiger is probably going to make a little bit of a mess, and, you know, you know, the teeth start getting a little bit bigger, and then you go to the third pane of glass, and you're like, oh my gosh, there's like a, that's a, that's a tiger, you know, like, holy smokes, and you get to the fifth pane of glass, this, this, is, this is what I saw, I'm walking, and I'm, I've got 12 college-age kids, and my, mine, I'm going... I would never let my kid do anything like that. And I get to the last pane of glass, and there is this tiger that is mauling a human in the, in the glass. Arm locked. The, the, the tiger keeper is just like hitting it on top of the head. The parents are on the outside going, please stop, 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 stop. And I'm like, you deserve it, bro. That's what I'm saying. You get in there. That's what happens when you're in there with tigers. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't mess with tigers. Don't pet them, you know? And, and I, I find myself, I think I did that to you guys last week. And here's what I did to you last week. It's like, oh, faith is cute. We're going to ask God in faith. And we're going to believe for the impossible. And then, then faith grows up to be a tiger that's going to gnaw you and say, hey, you got some work to do. Because you guys understand that asking God in faith for things is basically like picking a fight with a tiger. It's cute when it's small, but then when, when God asks you to do the impossible, there's a lot of fights that have, to, that have to take place. 
asking for God in faith is, is a lot like a tiger fight, but it's also like getting used to not putting the, the doubt brake on the faith vehicle. You guys have ever remember when you first started driving or you first started going down a hill or and, and your, your, your constant first reaction is to tap the brake and, and doubt. God says, I want you to go down this mountain or up this mountain. And you, just, you, you, you get going in speed and you're like, nope, i got to stop. That's oftentimes what happens to us in life. There was this moment in March uh, 29, 1948, when those that lived around Niagara Falls had this incredible moment happen to them. The Niagara Falls shut off and there was quiet. Faith has a noise. Faith has momentum. Faith has a power. Faith has this thing where it activates things in people's lives. And, and I know that as we talk about faith, God's going to stir some things up in you. A marriage that you've always wanted to have. Children that you're wanting to raise right in this crooked world. You're wanting to be part of a church that's advancing. And so faith has this noise, this momentum. But something happened in the Niagara Falls that day where Niagara Falls completely shut off. And it's amazing that when you're around faith, it sort of becomes noise. But you're, you're very aware when it's not being activated in your life, aren't you? The flow's gone. The, the activity's gone. And what ended up happening, there's these, these big ice sheets that came upriver and basically froze Niagara Falls for the first time that people could in recorded history. Heavy winds had set the ice fields of Lake Erie in motion. Tons of ice jammed the Niagara River entrance near Buffalo and stop the flow of water. So not only is faith sometimes like fighting the tiger, but sometimes faith is loosening the things that you've allowed in your life that God never wanted there in the first place. So you have this idea here this morning that, that faith is this thing that's in our life that is, should be in perpetual motion, that God, as you're faithful with the little things, he's allowed you to be rulers over much. Faith is this important thing that we have to understand is, has to be part of the body of Christ. And it's just not good enough for us in the body of Christ to have had faith victories in the past. Part of my prayer here is that our church will rise up and say, God, you've done it before, now do it again. To do something new in our midst. God, I don't want it to look like yesterday, I don't want it to seem like yesterday, but God, I want something to happen that's powerful today. Our passage of scripture is found in Joshua chapter 14. We read it last week, and if you need to go back over it, you're more than welcome to with all the, the different many ways that you can. But I want to focus on this, this, this part of the story where Caleb says, when he's talking about this moment, about the spies and, 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 and what happened in that moment, here's what he says in verse 8. It says, Nevertheless, my brethren who went up to me, with me, made the heart of the people melt. But what did I do? I wholly followed the Lord my God. You know, mountains are an interesting subject in Scripture, aren't they? We learned last week that one mountain in particular was tied to a promise that God had given Caleb. Caleb's name, if you study it in Scripture, means wholeheartedly. In other words, to conquer, to obtain, or to reach the place where God's promises are going to be activated in your life, it's going to take everything you've got. We know in other Scriptures that mountains are meant to be conquered, possessed, removed, and even mountains represented a place where God met his people. So pastor, what is it this morning? Am I supposed to conquer them, avoid them, or go to them? I'm not sure. Let me give you some examples of mountains today. Isaiah chapter 2 verses 2 through 3 tells of a mountain as a positive destination. Here's what it says. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Many, many people shall come and say, come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, 
and we will walk in his paths. Exodus 19, 16 through 19, describes a mountain as a literal place where God speaks. Mark eleven twenty three describes a mountain as an obstacle or opponent. Regardless of the mountain you're facing, the following is true. It isn't the mountain that wears you out in the end. It's the rock in your shoe that does. Most of the time, it doesn't matter what mountain you're facing because in a crowd of this size, there's people that are believing God for dreams to come to pass. And then there's people in this room that are believing for their nightmare to end. And as a pastor, you feel the weight of it all. You feel the the moments of, of celebration with people, and then you feel the moments when people have just lost a loved one. Or seasons in their life where they're desert seasons, or seasons in their life when seemingly everything is going right. Because faith isn't just faith when everything's going good. Matter of fact, faith is probably more important when things are not going well. Isn't that the truth? There are many times the things that hinder us really have nothing to do with God's will. It really is just our, our or others' poor choices in our lives. So here's what I'm confident of this morning as we kick off this message. I am confident that there are many people in this room that are facing mountains. Many will say this morning that I have a mountain obstacle standing in my way, addiction, financial problems, health issues. Look to your spouse this morning and say, you are my mountain. Men, don't do that. That was a trick. And if you don't, thank you so much. And if you did that, then there's marriage counseling available through Enrich Marriage and Keith Ruska and the, and the team. Uh, we want you guys to know that sometimes the mountains that we face are oftentimes the things that are really close to us. But do you realize that right now, this morning, you have access through faith and a willing heart to meet with your Heavenly Father? That what this is all about, this church building, the care groups, the songs, the preachings, They are wonderful, but at its core, this is a house of good news, that God loves you so much that no matter what mountain you're facing this morning, no matter what obstacle that's in your way or a dream that you're living through or nightmare that you're going through, regardless of your situation or your mountain, there's a relationship with him that activates faith that allows you to conquer any mountain that's facing your way. Here's what Hebrews 4 and 16 says. It says that you have access to come boldly to God Not religion, not a church, not just to come hear a pastor, but you yourself have access to your heavenly Father. It's when the Creator comes to his creation, the God who flung the stars in the skies wants to have a relationship with you. That's hard to believe now, isn't it? That God, that God that that spoke and things were created, he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants to, 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 to hear your fears and your doubts, and, and he's got big shoulders this morning. And you not, not only have to come sheepishly to him, not, not, not feeling like you're condemned or don't measure up. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that you have access to him through grace to come boldly to him. Here's what it says in Hebrews 11 and 6. And, it's with, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. So whatever mountains you face, you have to know this morning being obtained or released, it will always require in your life a measure of faith. Faith is a substance that increases in a believer's life, that as they grow in Christ through obedience to his word, and the longer that you walk in faithfulness, the larger the thing that God requires from you. Do you realize this morning, I'm not even going to talk to you this morning about the, 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 the good things about faithfulness or the, the things you attain in faithfulness. I'm going to talk to you this morning about the risk of faithfulness, and here's the risk. The risk is that one day, God's going to come and ask you for the little thing in your life. 
And you're going to say, okay, God, I'm going to give you a little thing. That's how most relationship with the Lord starts. Give me your pain. Give me your hurt. Give me the thing that you struggle with. Give me your addiction. And most of us are like, well, God wants the bad thing in my life, so it's pretty good. And then we give him the bad thing, and God says, okay, because you've been faithful, faithful with a little, I'm going to allow you to be ruler over much. And everyone's happy. And everyone goes, God, you have my, you've given me much. This is what happened to my wife and I in our life. I was a 17, 18-year-old kid with a dream to be in the ministry. I had a phone call from, from a pastor who said, hey, move to Vacaville, become a youth pastor, and I'm going to pay you $800 a month. And I said, there's the dream right there. $800 a month, I am set for life, and they're going to pay me to do something I would do for free. It was incredible. So I move into this, this is a true story, I move into this cop's house, living on a bunk bed with, uh, on, I was on the top of the bunk bed, and this six-year-old little boy was on the bottom, and man, did I struggle. Had no money, I was broke, but man, I was living the dream. Everything that I owned fit in the back of my Ford Bronco too. It was awesome. I remember the, the, the day vividly. I was driving past Sacramento from where my, where my hometown was, and the fireworks were going off at the Sacramento Rivercats game. Tears going down my face, and I was going, God, you have the little in my life. And I remember spending the, la the, the last 20 years of my life in that community of Vacaville and seeing how God turned the little into much. The much has names, doesn't it? When I think about the names that God allowed us to reach, I think about the Tories and the Vinnies and the Joels and the Brooks and, the, and the, the list can go on and on and on and on and on and on. It goes these hundreds of young adults and now we're in ministry and doing great and wonderful things. And I want you to know most of you guys are going to be watching today on YouTube and this pastor still has you. He's got your back. No matter if we're close or far away, there's always a friend here. But I want you to know that one day what I didn't realize about faithfulness was this. Is not only did he ask me for the little 20 years ago, there was a moment in a church service 18 months ago where he asked me for much. Because there's never going to come a point in your Christian walk where God's not going to ask the thing for you to trade up in faithfulness. He says, he says, listen to me, you have much now and I've given it to you. And he came and tapped me on the shoulder 18 months ago and he says, I want you to trust me with the much that I've given you because there's more that I want to show, to, I want to show you. So what most of us do in the church world, especially if we've been around the church for a long, long time, is we get satisfied with the much that God has done for us when really what God's been after is the much that you have because he has more to give you. It's a dangerous thing about being in the faith for a long time. Many of us in this room have been Christians for a number of years, decades. We've come to the church. You love your church. You love Jesus. You've, God's done incredible things in your life. You're faithful. You show up on a Sunday morning to hear this ranting and raving young first-time pastor, and he's like telling you, listen, you've been given much, and God's now requiring it of you because he wants to give you more. The same thing, the same way he came to me when I was an 18-year-old boy when $17 in my bank account was a lot. It was a little to me. He says, no, I want to give you more. And that is faith. Faith says, listen, you can be in the faith but not full of faith. You can be satisfied with what God's done in your life, but he's here to tell you that there's more. There's more dreams. There's more people to reach. There's more buildings to build. There's more, there's more, there's more of us out there than there is in here. And we need a church that says, God, we want to be full of faith, not just in the faith. Because tied to every endeavor that is life-giving is a faith jump where the outcome is seemingly unknown. You know, God takes the pastor before he'll ever, he'll ever take the church to a place. 
So this is where God's taken your pastor. He's taken me to a place where I've risked it all. I've risked comfort. I've risked, I've risked things financially. I've risked 20-year relationships. And I want you to know it is a pleasure to do so because I know that those people are in God's hands. But there was something knocking on this young man's heart that says there's a community out there that you need to risk it all because there's one more person that needs to know me. You ask why I'm here this morning. I'm here. Yeah, give it up for the Lord this morning. You ask, you ask me why I'm here this morning. I'm here because of just one, one more person. There's a person here in Grant's past that needs to know Jesus that doesn't know Jesus yet. I'm here for the saint. I'm here for the church. I'm here for the person that's going to come alongside of us and grow our ministry. But, man, our focus has to be on the lost. When we say, God, give us this mountain, it's not just God protect our church. Let our church be in survival mode or, or let our church just get by. That's not the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith is, God, would you do something in us and through us that no man can take credit for? That this building's not going to be big enough for God, what God wants to do. That where we're at is not where we're going, but we're thankful that we're not where we've been. Faith has this, this momentum. It's like the Niagara Falls. It has this momentum that the higher the mountain that you climb, the greater are obstacles that come in your way. I, I recognize this morning that not everyone's on the same page. I was reminded of this story of this single man who was so lonely that he wanted to go to the pet store and buy a unique pet. And so he went to the pet store owner and says, hey, listen, I just don't want a normal dog. I just don't want a normal cat. And he goes, well, listen, how about I give you a talking centipede? And the guy goes, listen, I've never heard of that before in my entire life, but if there's a talking centipede, I want it. And so he gets a talking centipede, and the, it actually talked. It was telling him jokes and stories, and, and this single man at home decided, hey, I, I realize that this would actually be really cool in the church, and I, I'm going to bring this talking centipede to church. And so this man looked at the centipede and said, hey, we're going to church today. And all of a sudden, the centipede stopped talking. And he asked again. He's like, this is a disrespectful pet. Like, let's go to church today. Crickets from the centipede. It was nuts. The third time they asked, why aren't we going? To, we're going to church today. And here's what he said. I know. I've been putting on all my shoes. <laughs> I get it. I get it this morning that some of you are like, Pastor, in faith, I want to believe with you, but I've got a lot of shoes I've got to put on. My story's not just like yours. There's addictions that I'm fighting. There's marriages that I'm trying to put back together. There's kids I'm trying to reach. What I'm trying to tell you in this room is there is a measure of faith in this room, both individually and corporately, that God wants us to come together to do something that we cannot do individually. The measure of faith that God wants to give us. You must know that, that you've been given a measure of faith. Look to your neighbor and say, I have been given a measure of faith. Inside of our church right now, there is the seed of faith to touch the world with the gospel. All of the finances, listen to me, all of the finances, every dollar we need is in this room. It's found in the seed of faith. All the people that we need are connected to the people that's in this room. Would you listen to me? The seed of faith that's in this room has all the resources, the prayers, the preaching, the skill, everything that is needed for the, the task ahead is found in this room. And all we have to do is say, God, would you grow our faith? God, I just don't want to fight with the cute tiger. God, 
I want to come down here and I want to fight with a mountain that's trying to fight against me. I, God, I want to conquer not just the mountain that's out there. God, I want to conquer the mountain that's in here. God, I recognize before you can heal someone else's addiction, you've got to heal mine. God, I realize before you can put someone else's marriage together, you've got to put mine back together. And what I'm believing for, what I see in the future is just an army of believers who have become the living proof of Jesus. And all we say to people in this community is this, if he's done it for me, he's going to do it for you. If you believe that, give him a big round of applause in this place. We believe that. Here's what Tommy Barnett says. Tommy Barnett says, the miracle is already in the house. See, see, listen to me. The leaders that are going to lead this church into the next season of ministry are already in this house. The seed of it's in there. And what the seed is trying to do is the seed's trying to grow. It's coming to you, and as it grows, what it's going to do, it's going to say, hey, listen, there's greatness in front of you. There's, there's dreams inside of you. There's plans inside of you. There's, there's giftings inside of you that are going to be released. But before you can conquer that mountain, you've got to conquer this mountain. You've got to conquer the mountain of doubt and a complaining spirit. You've got to conquer the doubt of saying that I can't do it. You've got to conquer the mountain of, of asking God why he's never done it before in the past in your life. You've got to conquer the mountain. You've got to conquer the mountain inside of you. T.S. Eliot says this, Only those who will risk going too far can possibly find out how far they can go. What I'm believing for is something that I, listen, in my own natural faith person, I go, man, I can't even believe for that. I can't believe for a thousand member church, a hundred trained leaders, ten church plants. That, that's a big dream. That's a big, how are we going to do that? How are we going to, how is this church in Grants Pass, Oregon going to touch the world? And God says you're going to do it by the seed of faith that's inside of you. You're going to do it because you're going to ask God to grow your faith. Because right now in your possession is the measure of faith that God's given you. And you have the capability through faith in Christ to become the person that you were created to be. Most of us, we use the measure of sin. We use the measure of free will, don't we? Some of you understand the measure of sin in your life and what it's caused. Wrecks of marriages, kids that have gone astray. But just, just so you know, just like you have the measure of sin in your life, God's given you a measure of faith. The world doesn't have to have all of our kids. It doesn't have to have our young people. This, 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 this community is ripe for a revival amongst young people. This, this community is ripe for a, a revival amongst, amongst the lost, the lonely, the bruised, and the broken. Because why? If we will use the measure of faith that God's given us, great things are going to happen at Parkway Christian Center. You want to change your world? Grow your faith. And as a church, you want to grow our capacity? you got to grow your faith. Look to your neighbor and say, we've got to grow our faith. We've got to grow our faith. Here's how your faith grows in three primary ways. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We're growing right now. Look to your neighbor and say, we're growing right now. Faith comes by hearing, and specifically it comes by hearing the Word of God. It's why, it's why the church is always tested. It's why you can hire the greatest sound people in the world and mics will always go out. It's because the church, there's just something about the demons that they attack the sound system. It's crazy. It's the reason why the church is always tested. Church is not a building, an organization, a nonprofit. You strip all of those away and the church will be as alive today as it was yesterday. Matter of fact, every time the church has been persecuted in history, the church has actually grown, not shrunk. 
But us as American Christians in this nice building with padded pews, we think that this is the church. The building, it's not the church. You and I are the church. And you, you strip all of it away. You strip the nonprofit status away. You strip, you strip the, the, the lights away. You strip the great buildings away. And I'm, I'm telling you, the church will rise up greater than it was in the past. Because we're the church. It's the hope, though, that church isn't just about you and me, but it's a place where he can come. Church without him is not church. How boring is it that we've created this atmosphere where we just walk through here? 1.5 times a month, that's the average church attendance in America today. When I was growing up, we had church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We went to church. I was raised underneath a pew. I saw some crazy stuff. Some of you old saints are crazy. I mean, in a good way. I mean, I saw some crazy faith belief stuff. I remember when church was a priority, not, not the sports teams, not the travel ball teams, not men didn't get every ounce of overtime they could because they lived in, in proper budget and stewarded and they helped the church move forward. Stepping on toes in the room. I, I, I remember a time when, when the church was the center of, of our lives, not because the church was, was anything that was perfect. It's because we understood that if God wanted to do something in our lives, it was going to take everything we had. And we grew. And we fought with each other in a good way. And iron sharpened iron. And we disagreed, but we loved each other. We honored each other on the way in, on the way out, on the way through. Church was a place that was reverenced. It was a place where he was welcomed. That's the kind of place I want here. I want a place where we don't just sing about him and he's not in the room, but he's here. I want a place where his presence comes. The Holy Spirit's allowed to move. Words of knowledge in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, it's sandwiched by that love chapter. Everything's done through love. We don't get up here and foam at the mouth and just rebuke people or just to do it or just to sound good or just to have the lights, but man, that this place would be a place where his presence would come. Because listen, what you're after, the need of your life is not going to be fixed by coming to church, young person. Church is a good place to be, but it's not, that's not how you're, you're, the longing in your heart that needs to be filled is not filled because you're just joining a community. You can do that at the Y, you can do that at the Boys and Girls Club, you can do that at a lot of places. The need of your life is filled and met when you have that encounter, that transforming life encounter with Jesus. It's, what, it's when it happens, because faith comes through hearing the Word of God and not just, listen to me, not just hearing it but hearing it. The second place that it comes is it comes through obedience. Here's what Hebrews 11 and 8 says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not even know where he was going. Do you know why I'm so confident in this moment? Not because I necessarily know where the church is going to be at in six months or a year, but because I've learned how to trust when he said something to do it. And when I trust and have obeyed him in the past, the things that he has done in my life have been exceedingly abundantly greater than I could have even asked or even asked, answered. Faith comes through obedience. It's important to know about faith momentum. It's the little victories that lead to the big victories. Most stop there. Satisfied with the victory found is not where I've been. Wilderness wandering is not a victory. 
survival mode as a Christian is not victory. Even God's provision in our life is not victory. That's what happened to the children of Israel now, isn't it? Children of Israel had a nice setup, didn't they? They had shoes that never wore out. They had food that would never run dry. They had water all the time they wanted it. And they were satisfied with 40 years of wandering when God said, I have a promised land in store for you. So you look at our life and you say, man, we've got it pretty comfortable as a church. We've got paid off facilities. We've got, we've got wonderful new lead pastors who don't know better, right? <laughs> we don't know what we don't know. Like everyone's great now, you know? You guys think that I'm like perfect. I'm not. No. Just, just wait till I get honorary and comfortable. We just think that we've got it all. No, listen. Faith comes through obedience, and sometimes God asks you to obey when you don't even see the outcome. To take that risk of faith. Edmund Hillary, the famed mountain climber, said, It's not the mountain we conquer in the end, it's ourselves. Faith goes, grows through testing, the third one. James 1 2 and 4 says, As my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let, let patience have every good work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This next season for our church will require all of us to increase our faith. And here's what testing does. Testing does something on the inside of you before it can ever do something to the outside of you. I was a young, young father, newly married, had my first child, Jaden. He was two years old, and I learned a lot about testings and trials. I was broke. Love the Lord, but I was broke. You walk different when you have a hundred dollar bill in your wallet. It's just it's a it's a it's a true fact, you know? Like when you go to the gas station and you're like, give me two gallons, you know, it's I um my son contracts this rare disease when he's two years old called Opsoclonus minoclonus. It's a disease that settled in his spinal cord and fever that went to his brain, and every like five or six seconds something neurologically was going on. His eyes would bounce in his head. Like you would look in his eyes and his eyes would go zzz. And here's what the doctor's report was. The doctor's report was that this is, is untreatable. Size him up for a helmet, put him in a wheelchair. And he's never going to be able to walk again. He was saying dad and mom and doing all the things that normal two-year-olds do. And all of a sudden he went from that to being an invalid. That was the, that was the, the report that the doctors gave us. I had $17 on my bank account, a quarter of a tank. My wife is in the ambulance holding Jaden in, in her arms. And I, I, I'll give you the short version here because there's a point in the story I want to hit through. But I, one of these days I'm going to tell you the long story about what God did in our life through that season. Uh, they gave my son no hope. No known cases of recovery in America. And said, they, you know, size him, size him up for a helmet, put him in a wheelchair. I, um, I wish I would could report today that I was okay, like I was a man of faith. I wasn't. I struggled. I remember walking around the hospital in Oakland, 10th floor of the Oakland Hospital, Kaiser there, and I, I remember walking, and it's, it's, if you know anything about Oakland, I don't really, I don't really fit in, uh, blend in. Um, in a bad way, you know, like we come from the Bay Area, there's, there's, we, we need some more diversity in this church. We need to, we need to step up our game. We do. We, um, 
we were down there, and we just had miracle after miracle begin to happen, but nothing really about my son. Just the report after being there for a week was, um, he's done, he's toast. And uh, it was about day three, we are in one of those hospital rooms where there's two bedrooms in it, and, or two rooms in it, and in wheels this, I don't know, five, six-day, six-week-year-old, five, six-week-year-old little boy. And um, nurse pops him in there next to Jaden and I, and I'm, I'm over there in one corner saying, why God? And this little boy walks in, and he's screaming and crying, and there's no dad, there's no mom, there's no one to help him. And so the curiosity, you know, as a, as a father, you go, what, what, what's going on? So I walk over to the nurse's station, and the nurse said, I'm sorry I didn't tell you. This is a foster care kid. He's legally blind, deaf. He's, gonna, he's terminally ill. He's probably going to last about another, another two or three months. And, and the foster care parents that have taken, taken him in, they have to drop him off once a week to uh, administer the drugs and the stuff to, to help, help him at least try to prolong his life and try to fight for his life. And so I asked, I asked the nurses, I said, can I pick this little boy up and pray for him? And the nurses were like, that would be great. That doesn't have anybody. And isn't it amazing that when you're at your worst or your least, that God will show you someone that's in worse shape? It's funny how faith grows through testing now, doesn't it? Because I, 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 I believe this, this uh, pro-life pastor, I believe that every life matters. I believe that. And that little boy was, was born for me. I remember holding that little boy and going, God, I'm sorry that, that I, haven't, I haven't climbed this season very well and done right by you. I remember just starting praying for this little boy. Lord, would you touch him? Would you heal him? Would you cover him? Would you, would you, would you matter in his life? Would you, God, would you, would you send angels to protect him? Would you, God, would you heal him? Would you, would Holy Spirit, would you touch him? And I remember in that moment I learned a valuable lesson about testing and perspective is that, that God doesn't cause those seasons, but he allows those seasons not because he knows what's inside of you because he already does, he uses those seasons to show you what's inside of you. I stand here today understanding about faith because faith has this, this, this thing inside of my life that grows. My oldest son was out of the hospital for two weeks praying with his grandmother. He was still an invalid, limp, dead weight, and she was praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in tongues. And the best way that she describes it is that a jolt went through her. And my little boy, who they left for dead, popped up, put his shoes on, and started walking. Nope. Doctor said, it's not going to last. There's no known recovery. Matter of fact, your, your kid's probably going to get sick again in the next several months with a fever. And you know when he got sick with a fever, what our thought was? Straight to doubt. Here it comes. But you know when the fever came, it went. 
Some was still good. Do you know, do you know that they, they had us go there for 12 months in a row? The first several months was every week. They couldn't believe it. Jane's the only known case of, of in all of America, of this disease ever being healed. Yeah. Here's what they said. They said to Jaden, Jaden, you're never going to play sports ever. You're never going to be good at school because you're going to have learning disabilities. Um, at that point, my wife and I were like, listen, he's walking, so we're good. But let me tell you about the miracle that God sets in motion. It doesn't just, it's not just for the moment, but it's for years, years ahead. Uh, Jaden is an all-star for, for Little League Baseball. He made the varsity team He in basketball. He's a wonderful athlete. Every time I see him running up and down the court, I go, that's my God. It's all good. Uh, made the golf team on the first try last year. Uh, he comes in last summer and he goes, hey, I think I'm going to take two AP classes. And uh, my thought to him was like, you crazy. Um, brings a semester grade home like every high school kid does and throws it on the uh, counter like no biggie. Walks away, Brooke and I open it. It's like a 4.3 GPA. Yeah. Brooke, would you come? Do you know why I tell you that story is because some of us need to meet Mr. Perspective in this room. That's where I met him. I met him in that 10th floor of the Oakland Hospital when I, when I said, God, I need you to build my faith. And he said, okay, I'm going to do it through hearing the word of God. I'm going to do it through your obedience, son. I'm going to do it through testing. A lot of us say, God, would you expand our faith and expand our church? And God says, okay, trials are coming. Testings are going to come. You're going to face some things that you've probably never faced before. You're going to have things happen to you that you probably aren't fair in life, but that's okay. Because why? His faith allows you not just to be a conqueror, but to be more than a conqueror. Rusty Bailey says this, in the mountains there are only two grades. You can either do it or you can't. Caleb, in his recount of the story of the 12 spies, mentions the struggle they all felt when counting the cost to fight for the promised land. And this is what I came here to tell you this morning that there was an internal battle before there was ever, ever an external one. Listen to me. Before faith ever confronts the enemy, it will always confront me. Before faith ever confronts the enemy, it always confront this man, who I am, the mountain that's inside of me, the doubt, the unbelief, the questions, the addictions, the secret things that no one in my life knows but me. Before faith could ever trouble the enemy, it troubles me. Before faith ever troubles the enemy through a church, faith comes and it brings conviction. It brings repentance. It brings restoration. It brings times of refreshment. But there comes that moment in your life where you say, God, if you want to use me, there's some things in my life that I've got to lose. Before faith ever troubles the enemy. I'm going to repeat it till you get it in your heart. Before faith ever troubles the enemy. I want to be part of a church that troubles the enemy and wins the world for Jesus. God says, okay. What about that thing inside of you? That apathy, that complacency. 
Man, what about that thing where you'll come to church on a Sunday morning but never get involved in leadership? What about that thing where you have pride where you'll never answer an altar call? What about that thing, man, where you'll never raise up your hand and worship him in a service? God, I want to be part. God says, do you? What about that thing? What about that thing that, that slanders or gossips or, or complains more than it does praises and honors and glorifies? See, before God ever troubles the enemy, he troubles me. And what needs to come to our church before they ever answer an altar call, we have to answer one. Before the lost ever come in this building, the found have to say, God, yes, it's me. God, do something in my life. Start it with me. The greatest revivals in history don't start with groups of people. They start with people together individually saying, God, there is nothing in my life that's off limits. Nothing. There's not an attitude. There's not an action. Want to be a place where God dwells? You want to be a place where lost people come? You want to be a place where revival happens? God, would you forgive this pastor? I repent. All the areas of my life that you've you've always wanted, you could have. Have my thoughts, have my actions, have my words, have my deeds. And God then comes to that place and says, I'll give you the mountain. The craziest prayer you'll ever pray is a prayer that says, God, give me enough tests and trials to produce in me the person that you want me to be. A.W. Tozer says this, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only things that we can do ourselves. On December 22nd, 1899, the evangelist D.L. Moody lay dying, and I'm going to close with this. His first job had been as a shoe clerk in Boston, gathering 18 ragged boys off the street to organize a Sunday school class. In two years, that class had grown to 1,500. In his lifetime, Moody was to take two continents in his hands and shake them for God. And as he died, he wrote this phrase on the fly leaf of his Bible. If God be your partner, make your plans large. The victory is worth the fight. Do you know why I signed up to come here? Because I knew that there was people that loved Jesus. And they loved their church. And you're about to fall in love with your community once again. Because the victory is worth the fight. Once you listen, there's holy hush moments in this room. Listen. God's going to begin to break our hearts for what breaks is. This church wasn't meant to live inside these four walls. This church wasn't meant to live in survival mode or complacency mode. This church was meant for something more. But before we can ever trouble the enemy, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to trouble us. Would you stand to your feet quietly, respectfully, bow your heads. Would you raise your hands all across this room? Take 60 seconds. Holy Spirit, would you come? 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 Would you come thicker and greater? Church, would you begin to pray out loud with me? Just say, God, it's me. Pick me. 
Use me, God. Before I recognize from my pastor's heart this morning that I got to open up my heart to be troubled. Trouble me, convict me, move in me, forgive me of my apathy, my complacency, the things in my life that aren't pleasing to you. There is no one like you. Father, we honor you this morning. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. want to reiterate because when the Holy Spirit begins to move the enemy tries to come and rob I'm thankful that each and every one of you are here this is not a moment of condemnation it's not a moment to say that you're not loved it's a moment to say that God loves you so much just like that centipede he's gonna allow you to put your shoes on one at a time say God work in me work in me it's the enemy that comes to condemn it's the enemy that comes to tell you you're not good enough that's not what's in this room. What's in this room is good news. That what God wants to do through you is so powerful, but you have to be willing to give up everything that's in your life. So you're here this morning. I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's an addiction. I don't know if it's a marriage. I don't know if it's financial. I don't know if it's an attitude or an action. I don't know. You're going to answer your own altar call this morning. But what we're going to do this morning is we're going to open up these altars. And my wife's going to begin to sing, and this worship team's going to begin to lead. And we don't have a whole lot of time here this morning. I recognize we live in a day where I get about 50 minutes of your time once a week. But the Holy Spirit's about to do something in some of your lives that's so powerful. When you say, God, there is nothing off limits in my life. God, would you help me dream again? Would you help me, the seeds of faith, would you cause them to grow? And in this room this morning, the seeds for what's coming are going to be watered in the Holy Spirit presence and power of God. When we say, God, there is nothing that's off limits. There is not, look to your neighbor and say, there's nothing off limits this morning. Not my pride, not my ego, not the things that I'm holding on to in the past. There's nothing off limits. You're here this morning. Maybe you don't know Jesus this morning. You're, you're the reason why I came. Not to introduce you to religion. Not to introduce you to even a membership of a church. I came to tell you that the best decision in your life that you'll ever make is giving your heart to Jesus. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed all across this room before I call all of you forward. You say, Pastor, I need to get my heart right with God this morning. There's areas of my life that I know that aren't pleasing to Him. And I want to make sure today that if I were to, something God forbid were to happen to me, I were to breathe my last breath, I'd know that heaven would be my home. I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, would you stretch up your hand so I can see it all across this room? If that's you, yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yeah, thank you in the balcony. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Yes, thank you over here. I see your hand. Thank you. So appreciate your honesty this morning. There's about 15 or so hands that have been raised. Thank you, young lady, all the way in the back. Anybody else before I pray this prayer? Yes, thank you. I see your hands up here. Yes, thank you. 
Here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your right hand on your heart this morning. I want you to say, Dear Heavenly Father, repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for that sacrifice you made for me on that cross. It wasn't just the world. It was me. I recognize my need of you this morning. I give my heart to you, my life to you, the center of who I am to you. We ask that your blood forgive me of all my sins. We're thankful, Father, that your sacrifice, you don't have to pray this, but we're thankful. I just want you to pray with me as I pray. We're thankful that your sacrifice didn't stop at the tomb, but it was, or stop at the cross. It was victory of the tomb. That we could have victory in this life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Heaven rejoices when one. There was about 15. Would you give the loudest round of applause you've given in a long, long time? Hallelujah. 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 Father, we thank you. You're here. We don't have just but a few moments left. I'll honor your time. I'll honor your lunch. I'll honor your family day. But there's a moment that our church needs to have. Say, Pastor, I'm ready. God, grow my faith. Trouble me before you trouble the enemy. I don't know what your issue is. I don't know where you're at. I know that even I as a pastor sometimes struggle. I'm at that place today where I'm saying, God, I need you to change some things on the inside of me. Attitudes and actions. These altars are open. Brooke, would you begin to sing? I want to pray for some people. But if you're there this morning where you say, Pastor, I'm ready to say, God, trouble me before you trouble the enemy. Would you walk this way? Would you come forward? Let's have a moment in worship this morning.
song, just before you close, would you stretch up your hands all across this room and sing this song? Come on. As a big choir, as an anthem. Father, we declare it's you. Would you trouble us? We give you permission this morning. We give you permission this morning. Come on, stretch your hands up and sing this as a big choir. Hallelujah. that learns how to wait on him. It's not worried about what happens 30 minutes from now, but just sits and stands in the moment of his presence. Father, we declare in this moment that it's about you, what you want, your direction for us. Father, I declare the greatness of this church over this body right now in Jesus' name. And Father, I recognize that the great things you've called us to are only going to happen when we give you permission to conquer the mountains in our own life. We give you permission. Make us the men and women of God you've called us to be. Father, the prayer last week, God, give us this valley. Give us every high school, every elementary school, every lost and lonely, bruised and broken person. God, give us the saints. Give us the funders of ministry. God, we want this valley, but week two is this. God, we don't just keep, ask you for the valley. We ask you, we ask you for us. Trouble us, God. 
Wake us up. Get us ready for what's coming. Father, wake us up to the needs that are around us, to our neighbors, to our family members, our friends. Father, we give you permission this week to go deep into our lives. Every one of you look me in the eyes. This young pastor loves you. Love you. Whatever you need, whatever you need, you come find me. I've been telling people individually this. When the enemy comes and tells you that that man's too busy, ignore it. And you come find me. Because listen, my wife and I are believing for something. We're hoping for something. We're asking for something. That is crazy. But we can't do it unless we lock arms together. And we say, God, before you trouble that, God, we give you permission to trouble this. Father, we pray a prayer of blessing over our people today. Would you cause favor to rest upon them? God, we pray for supernatural resources and jobs and increases and bonuses and favor. God, not because we need any one more thing. We're blessed. But we ask for those things because we want to be a bigger blessing to your kingdom. So, Father, we pray for supernatural provision and health and insight and wisdom. And we pray, God, that as we enter our mission field this week, that you would trouble us so that we can trouble the enemy and take the greatest thing from him, and that's people. We pray for it in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody says, amen and amen. I love you. You guys have a blessed week. God bless.